Hey, I'm excited about this morning. We've got a lot to cover. Uh, of course, we're in the book of Colossians. We're going to be talking about some of the man stuff that comes out of Colossians that speaks to us this morning. Kind of laid a foundation with you last week about the Gnostics and the Judaizers, about two camps that Paul was basically addressing. If you remember the history of this church, this is a small church. It's one whose pastor's name is known as Epaphras. And he is basically, he's come to Paul. Paul is imprisoned at this time in a kind of a house prison. And so he asked Paul to address his church. So he sends him back with this letter. And basically there's two camps. You have the Gnostics, like I said, and the Judaizers, two primary groups. They're spreading false teachings in the church. And one extreme is licentiousness and the other extreme is legalism. So meaning that uh, I remember the term that I couldn't think of last week. One believed in greasy grace. That's the term I was looking for, Adi. And, and the other one was licentiousness, which simply means this. It, it means to be legal. And so the Judaizers who were, who were in the church were saying, hey, we've got to legalize some things. There's, there's, there's ways that we understand to do God's work, and this is what it should look like in your life as well. And of course, Jesus uh, fulfilled all the laws. They were trying to bring the laws back into the church. So this is basically in our churches. I, I talked about how these, these ideas are still in our churches today. Some of you feel like you're on a ladder and you work your way up towards God or towards the heavenlies. And as you work your way up, uh, then you sin and you slip down three rungs on the ladder. And uh, a lot of us were brought up that way. We were just brought up believing that, hey, if we didn't toe the line, that we weren't going to make the kingdom of heaven. The problem with that thought is that you'll never be good enough. Um, there's, there's just no way to measure up. If we could measure up, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and hang on the cross on behalf of us. And so uh, that's the problem with that thought. The other thought, Greasy Grace, says, hey, um, the, the, the spirit is good, but the flesh is bad. Well, that can't be the total truth. Now, we do know that we battle the flesh. We see the Apostle Paul, the one who even wrote this letter, battle the flesh in the book of Romans. And so he makes it, makes it clear that there is a battle going on between both. And yet, at the same time, what's going on in the inside, if we can't believe what's going on in the inside will eventually affect our outside, then you tend to give up. And greasy grace will kind of get you to that place, if you will. The, the Gnostics believed that the spirit man was good. It really didn't matter what you did in the flesh. And of course, uh, throughout Scripture, Galatians is another one that the Apostle Paul has to address that church and say, hey men, it's not a good thing for you to cut your testicles off and run through the city. Now he doesn't say it like that, but that's what's taking place. And so uh, he, they were given their, their, themselves to false gods, to false teachings of course, and then you have all the Greek gods and goddesses and everything else, the, the, the prostitutes, the temple prostitutes, and they thought, well, that's okay. You know, it's the flesh. It's, it doesn't have to do with my spirit, man. Look, we're all connected, all right? Just as God is connected, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we too um, have, are, are connected with our spirit man as well as our flesh. And so we want the spirit man to win out. So these are the two camps. I'm kind of moving quick this morning because I, I last night, I added to this, which is never a good thing. Pastors are supposed to be taking things out, and uh, I just kept adding in, and, and then I said, you know what, I may have a little much. So we gotta we got to move ahead. So here's kind of the big idea. I, I feel like it's it, you're going to see this all throughout, but it's beginning in verse 6, uh, chapter 2 of Colossians there. Paul centers everything on being in Christ. See, when we're in Christ, 
then he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, also he who is in the flesh. So you got to keep this in mind. He's saying, hey, we walk in Christ. And so I would say it this way, walk in him, be rooted in him, built in him, filled in him, circumcised in him, buried with him, raised with him, victorious in him. And, and these are the things that the Apostle Paul is going to cover in chapter 2. So we'll start here with verse 1. I just kind of unpack that real quickly so that you'll kind of see this is what we're going to talk about as far as walking in Christ. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not yet met me personally. So this tells us that Paul's not yet been to this church personally. Just a heads up. All right, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may be so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So the fine-sounding arguments, he's just addressing, once again, the Judaizers as well as the Greeks who were who were trying to pull them over to greasy grace, if you will. So this is what's taking place here. He's just saying, hey, I don't want anyone to deceive you. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. So basically what he's saying here, the way in is the way on. The way in is the way on. Christ in you is the hope of glory. As you walk in Christ, then you should continue one in Him. Don't be swayed by all the fine arguments on each side of the highway. If you're not careful, you pay attention to those, you'll wreck. And so continue on. So here's the thing, truth, the truth is that many speak of receiving Jesus as Savior, but we are much slower to speak of Him as Lord. So I want you to see this, he says in verse 6, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, I don't know if you've been around people who pray to Jesus as Lord uh, much. I've been around who many who pray to Jesus as Father and pray to Jesus or ask this in Jesus' name. Um, in Scripture, I want you to know uh, Jesus as Lord is very, very important. And Paul is saying, hey, Christ has to be Lord over not just your inner man, but your flesh as well. The way in, when you receive Jesus, you receive Jesus because you understood something. You understood that you, were, uh, that you had sin and were a sinner and you needed someone to come in on behalf of you to make you right in the eyes of the Lord. And so God sent his son, and you know the message. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul is going to unpack this here in a moment. But he doesn't want you to stay just where Jesus is Savior. He wants us to move to continue to walk in Christ to where one day he's Lord. And that means Lord over every decision. You know, simple decisions. It's like this shirt. Somebody said I ought to buy a large. Why am I wearing my junior high shirt, right? I get it. Over every decision, anything that you do, I, I was praying over my lawnmower the other day. You know, I was like, Lord, this is the third lawnmower that's laying dead out here. You know, help me, help it. So in, in all, of our, all of our decisions, what's on the inside should make its way to the outside. We've got to learn that Jesus is not just Savior, but he wants us to continue to walk with him to become Lord of our life, Lord over our flesh as well. 
Charles Spurgeon noted, noted this. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I put some of his notes in here. He said, it is interesting to notice that the apostles preached the lordship of Christ. The word Savior occurs only twice in the book of Acts. But the, the, the title Lord is mentioned 92 times. Lord Jesus, 13 times. And Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, is also found six times throughout this book. Lordship is not only submission to the authority of Jesus, it is a life where definitions, decisions, and delight are found under His Lordship, where you bend to His will, submit your desires to His, deny yourself and follow Him, where you come to the conviction that everything, your life, death, and salvation is His, and therefore you will use it to worship Him. This does not happen overnight, but it also doesn't happen sitting down. We learn to walk by taking steps like riding a bike. So Charles Spurgeon, what he's saying here, he's a great theologian. Some of you know who Charles Spurgeon uh, was in our his history. And um, he, he's just an awesome man of God. And what he's trying to explain here is, is pay attention because the Apostle Paul is not referring to Jesus here as Savior. He's referring to Jesus as Lord. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him now if you're rooted in something it means that you have depth in something so we continue on we pursue christ and we gain depth strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude see if you're legalistic this morning i'm going to tell you something you're not going to be uh, full of gratitude and here's why because you're going to see yourself as earning something see if you're legalistic that means you earn your right uh, to to the Savior it, it, and to Jesus as Lord. If you're legalistic about your faith, you feel like you're going up that ladder, right? And and uh, eventually you've made ten rungs. You're doing really really well, so you're a little better than those around you. You've earned the right. And when we feel like we earn something, men, this is very important. When we feel like we earn something, then then we're not grateful for it. Here's why: because we earned it. We're entitled to it. And, and that's something that's going on here. So he's saying, hey, you, you can't be entitled to this. It's not something that, that you earn. As a matter of fact, you should overflow with gratitude for what Christ has done for you. Now, another one that I read, there's a, a book out there that uh, is, I just pulled it out yesterday. Um, it's called uh, Sit, Walk, and Stand. No, Sit, Walk, Sit, Stand, Sit, Stand, and Walk. All right. And it's, uh, he's another great theologian, uh, Jason. Yeah, what's his name? Watchman Nee. Thank you. There's Lyle. Watchman Nee. So I pulled, I pulled his book out and he got several notes going through that book right now. But he, he's talking about, hey, sitting down in your faith. In other words, his part of sitting. I mean, I know Paul's talking about walking right here, but he's saying, hey, you've got to sit and understand what Jesus has done for you. You, you, so that you will have gratitude, so that it won't be by your works. Now, the walking is learning to walk in our faith, making Jesus Lord of every decision that we have in our life, of, of every step. Uh, young men, it's very important for you to pay attention to this because um, be praying for your wives today, you know, so that Jesus is Lord over your marriage, so that Jesus is Lord over your wife, not just Lord over you. Years ago, I had a wise man uh, sit with me and was counseling Alice and I we just got engaged and Dr. Richard Bells and he said here's what I want to tell both of you he said your faith is still your own 
It's not her job to get you, Curtis, where you're supposed to be, and it's not your job to get her where she's supposed to be. Both of you have to be mature in your faith, and both of you have to hear me. Now, I know men, we're to lead our wives and we're to provide an atmosphere where our wives can grow. All of that's true. That is true. But some of you men have been married long enough or divorced long enough where you understand the importance of what it means for Jesus to be Lord in your wife's life. I shouldn't make that plural. In your wife. And you know what I'm saying. Okay, we're not the Mormon church here. But here's the thing, that as Jesus is Lord and as we sit or as we walk with Him, as we sit and understand that, and as we walk with Him, what we'll find out is that we no longer have a spirit of ingratitude. We, we begin to, to, to be grateful because we're not earning something. He's Lord. He's helping us and prompting us in the decisions that we make in life. Legalism does not receive God's promises as a gift, but rather as a payment. Why should I be thankful for something I've earned? See, and, and, and then he gets over, he, he moves us over to roots, rooting ourselves. Let's talk about what that looks like. Roots cannot be seen, but their depth is made evident in the health of the plant. Roots provide strength, nourishment, and fruitfulness. We need deep roots. One of my favorite scriptures years ago that I memorized in, in uh, it, it was in a discipleship class. It was Psalms 91, or Psalms 1, I'm sorry, Psalm 1. And it says this, that basically a man of the word is like a tree with deep roots planted by the waters, by the calm waters. See, that's where God wants us to be in our walk with him. Like a tree, faith, deep roots, we can weather the storms, we can weather the droughts, we can weather disease, we can weather anything regardless of what it is, simply because our roots are deep in Him. He is Lord over our life. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey men, look, you guys have to root yourself in the truth and the Word of God. <clears throat> Very important. Faith with deep roots produces fruit and it produces protect, protection for others. I know for many of us, we have gone through storms in our lives and it's not our faith that has carried us. It's the faith of the person next to us. It's the faith of those who we know are really rooted. That's why we go to people and uh, pastors and, and maybe friends who are deeply rooted in God's word and his truth. And that way we're, we're able to, to, to press on and be encouraged and overcome those things, those challenges, those conditions in our lives. See, faith with deep roots produces fruit and it produces protection for others. And Paul here is using active verbs, by the way. He's implying that we have an active role to play in reaching depth in the riches of Christ. It's, it's, it's meaning that, that we are walking. We are to have deep roots. We're to be deeply rooted in Christ. That means that, you know, a root, when, when, it's, when it's growing, what is it doing? It's reaching for more moisture. It's reaching for more water so that the, the, the fruit on the tree will be abundant. And it's the same for us. We keep reaching, we keep searching, we keep digging out what Christ has for us and we root ourselves in His Word and His truth and we bear much fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold as Jesus would say. We must take it much more seriously than we do. You will die or be easily hurt without roots. I really wanted to put something about bark in there too. But um, I didn't find anything. 
I had a, I had a, a, a porcupine show up one night and ate all the bark off my best tree. And my dogs barked all night and I was too lazy to get up and go see what it was about. Went out the next morning, all the bark's off the tree. And now anyway, I got boars and kill them. It, but that's my problem. I'm trying to, trying to let Jesus be Lord over that as well. So um, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, real quickly, just think as Paul is writing to these two camps, which camp is he talking about? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Who would that be? Which camp? We got the greasy grace, we got the licentiousness. Or, or, I'm sorry, the Judaizers. Right, right. So, so a little bit of both and here because he says uh, both have hollow and deceptive philosophy and, and yet he says, which depends on human tradition. Now when he says human tradition, he's going after the Judaizers. That's who he's chasing right here, right? The legalists. And that's, that's part of their argument. And the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So earlier in verse 4, Paul warns about this. He warns the Colossians about these plausible arguments and hear about false teachers who will come with their alluring lies and draw them away from Christ. Not working sounds good because um, these lies sound good. So, you know, um, it, it, whether you're in the greasy grace and say, I don't have to work for it, or whether you're over here in the other camp and you do have to work for it, both can sound good, but both are dangerous. Lies oftentimes feel good. Um, I put in here lies like, like never mind, I probably shouldn't say it. Lies like good Mormons, right? <clears throat> the reason I put this in here is, is for this. I mean, uh, false teachers are not bad people teaching bad morals. I want you to hear this. It's not always easy to pick up on this stuff. I, I've got a niece that's in Mor Mormon country right now, and she's texting me, quite often and saying, Curtis, what do I do about this? Or these, they're arguing with me about these certain principles in scripture and Curtis are full of love. They have all these family values and the way that they live their life. And, and, uh, you know, as, as we talk and as I send things back, you know, be careful because lies sometimes look really good. Lies don't always consist of bad morals. On the contrary, they're often quite sincere, loving, they're sophisticated, and that is what makes them effective kidnappers. Look, there is a danger of being kidnapped in this world, not because we love bad things, but because we love good things so badly. And that's not my quote. That actually comes from Timothy Keller, which, by the way, man, he is as solid as you'll read today, one of the modern scholars. There is a danger of being kidnapped in this world, not because we love bad things, but because we love good things so badly. And the most vulnerable people are spiritual children. You don't see too many Amber Alerts for 35 to 40-year-old men. I've, I've not seen that Amber Alert. Now, you might see one for an 80-plus-year-old man, right? But, you, but, but not for 35 and 40-year-old men. Children are kidnapped. They're the ones who are kidnapped. They are captured because they are weak, they are vulnerable, they are easily tempted, they are not rooted. And spiritual children are captivated because they don't find Jesus more captivating. And though it is tempting to be a child forever, it will lead you away from Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul is making a plea to the church at Colossae. He's saying, hey, you've got to be deeply rooted, 
find those things that root you in Christ, continue to grow, continue to walk so that you are not kidnapped away from the faith because it's children who are kidnapped. It's children who are deceived by these false teachers. And isn't it interesting to know that he would basically tell them to root themselves in Christ, make Jesus Lord, not just Savior. Root yourself in Christ. He's not trying to be a theologian here, men. You notice that? As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you here in just a minute. The Apostle Paul is not trying to make an argument for either side. Matter of fact, he's not even arguing with the other side. He's making them aware that there are other sides. He's making them aware that there's deceitfulness, that to be careful as you're going down the interstate, there's some billboard signs that could get your attention, that could wreck you. He's making them aware of that. But isn't it interesting? Watch what he does. He's not, he's not going to sit here and teach philosophy. He's not going to teach a doctrine. You know what he's going to do? He's going to teach Christ and Christ crucified. To win the arguments, men, he's going to teach Christ and Christ crucified. That's his theology. So you'll see it here in a minute. For in Christ, here he goes, verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. He's making it a point here that the head over the body, corporate and individual, is Christ. Your answer is found in Christ. He is the deity. He is the power and the authority. This means that even the power and authority in your individual life. That's why you can't have great, greasy grace, and that's why licentiousness, or I'm sorry, I keep going there. That's why the Judaizer way of thinking doesn't work as well. Because he's saying, hey, you've got to be in Christ. This deity lives in you. He'll bring you to all truth. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed of human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now here he's, he's going after the licentiousness group, those who feel like the greasy grace. He's saying, hey, look, <laughs> that's not working. Right? Your whole self should be ruled by the flesh that was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us <clears throat> and condemned us. Now he's going back towards the Judaizer way of thinking. See, so he's going back over here to legalism. He's saying that stuff will condemn you, right? But Christ died for that as well. And he has taken it away. He nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So he's, he's pointing out all these other these billboards that are out there that will distract them in these simple arguments. And he's going back to the basic foundation of Jesus Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and, and is it sinews or sinews? Sinews? I've always said sinews, but somebody told me the other day it's sinews. I think that's sinuses. 
Yeah, yeah. Wow, S-I-N-E-W-S. But you know what those things that hold things together? All right. Grow as God causes it to grow. So here we go. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch these rules. Because here's the thing, the, the Judaizers are going to come in and say, oh, you shouldn't eat that because it was strangled. You, you shouldn't eat that because, you know, that's, that's got a different type of hoof on it. They had all kinds of legalistic rules and he's going after them here these rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value on restraining sensual indulgence and that's that's interesting to me i actually went into commentaries and, and looked that up sensual indulgence why would paul end with that I mean, he's saying, hey, these people are disciplined in all these areas, but they still have a sensuality about them. That means that there's still something that lords over their flesh. They're still not completely surrendered to Christ. Though they can discipline their bodies, in other words, they can fast from certain foods, from certain times of eating, days at a time, and yet they still have sensualities that appease the flesh. And he, in some ways, he's calling them out. He knows what those are. Now, uh, you, can, you can just imagine what those things may be, but uh, they're there. Men, this finishes chapter 2. Um, there's a couple of questions. What are ways that we lose connection with Christ? You know, what is the most difficult for you? Licentiousness or, uh, or possibly um, moving over to legalism. But I just want you to know there are some questions in front of you that you'll have an opportunity to talk about this and to unpack um, some of these questions that we have. I mean, and, and, and listen to the men around you because the several know how, uh, have been in the legal camp. And several of you, many of you men, have been over here in the very gracely camp. And, and the Apostle Paul is just saying, hey, get back to the basics. Pray to Jesus. Let Jesus be Lord of your life, not just Savior. Let him be Lord of your life. Father God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for this teaching, Lord. I uh, thank you for the church at Colossae because we can learn so much on just keeping the main thing the main thing, and that is you. Father, we bless you. Take this day and make it yours. In Jesus' name, amen.